Hello and welcome to In the Booth here on Sportsnet 650. Brendan Batchelor with you as always, joined by my broadcast colleague Randy Janda. We together comprise the Canucks broadcast team here on Sportsnet 650. This is our new-ish weekly show. What are we into? Week four now, I think, Randy? Yeah, we're a month in, man. This is a, a landmark for us, a milestone, a small one, but still nonetheless. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a month in, and this is our new show slash podcast. You'll hear it on the airwaves on Sportsnet 650, and you can download the podcast every week. Generally comes out on Fridays in the evening, so uh, make sure to subscribe to the Canucks Central podcast feed to get this show and all the other great content you get on Canucks Central throughout the week. Canucks have won five games in a row, coming off an impressive, uh, or maybe not so impressive, but impressive in the way that they found a way to win, Randeep, on Thursday in Ottawa to stretch their winning streak in a game where they started well, they kind of lagged in the middle, and then they finished well in the third. Yeah, this was a game that was not necessarily kind to the blood pressure of one Rick Tockett, where you start off really well, 2 nothing. 15 seconds in, Brock Besser gets it going. Ilya Mikheyev scores another goal. And then after that, it starts to shift a little bit. You know, the first period, Drake Batherson scores after the Ian Cole giveaway. And the second period uh, was kind of touch and go. But in the end, you're not going to be able to win every single game playing the perfect style that you want to play. When stuff goes wrong, are you able to deal with it? And the Canucks thus far this season have played a lot of games that they can be happy with, that they can be proud of. Uh, other games, you're going to have those every now and then. I go back to, to the Nashville game at home where they won 5-2, similar scoreline. This game against Ottawa on the road, another 5-2 game where you look back and say, hey, it wasn't pretty, but the bar in Vancouver is you acknowledge that it's not good enough, but the standard has been raised, and those games are few and far between. So you look back at that game most recently, of course, against the Ottawa Senators, and that's one that you can kind of, be happy with the two points, but understand that you need to go further. You need to play better. You need to lock down some things. Not the cleanest of games. Puck management was an issue, but Bats, the two points are the most important thing, and you have that internal expectation of what's good, what's bad. It's not about just getting the two points and banking them. It's about, all right, you bank them, but there's an internal standard now that Rick Tockett, I'm sure, will be talking to his team and saying, all right, Boise, take the points, but we got to do better. Yeah, and... It's it's interesting because it's such a high standard, such a high bar from Rick Tockett, and I think it's probably fair to say that in two consecutive games now, the Canucks have kind of started to lag a little bit, which is crazy to say because, you know, they beat Edmonton pretty handily the other night on home ice before heading out on the road to win against Ottawa, but neither of those games were convincing performances for me, and I wonder if... And this is something that is kind of going to be the theme of this week's show because it's been the theme of the narrative around this team in general is regression. And what is that going to look like for the Canucks? You know, their shooting percentage has been unbelievable. Their top players have been producing at a tremendous rate. At some point, you do expect some regression to the mean and you do expect this team 
to, you know, not continue to fire on all cylinders offensively while playing as well as they have defensively. So, uh, you know, they've had some some good games, some good performances, some offense from throughout their lineup over the last couple of games, but it does have me thinking if we're starting to see this team trending back towards the mean. And I think it's important that we talk about what that means because I feel like the, the regression conversation in this market has essentially been centered around, oh, this is a team that's had a great start, but they're still not a very good team, and we're going to see them regress to that. I don't believe that's the case anymore. What I'm saying is they're playing like an elite team now when they're probably just a good team as opposed to a great team, and that's what the regression might look like. But the fact that they've built up this, you know, huge lead in terms of uh, the gap from some teams in the Pacific Division, the fact that they've banked so many points early means that they have a safety net for if and when that regression does come. And I wonder what we're going to see here over the next couple of weeks, especially coming off a couple of games where, yeah, they won. Yeah, they scored a lot, but there's lots of room for improvement in their game. For sure there is. And when we talk about what that regression will look like, hey, you're right. They've got an over 80% points percentage right now. Like, if you do that over the next couple of months even, uh, you're an elite team in the NHL. And I think there's only one other team that can, two other teams that can rival the Canucks in that right now. It's New York Rangers who um, who are up there. You've got, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights who are up there. And, of course, the Boston Bruins that are the best team in the NHL right now. So I think for anybody to believe that that's what the Canucks will be, you know, that's very, very optimistic, and I, I agree. But when we start looking at some of those other aspects, goals against per game, they are second in the league behind the Boston Bruins. Two goals allowed per game, which, yeah, do I expect that number to probably come up a little bit? For sure, but how much? We're not talking about the bottom falling out in this team, and I think that's where the discussion in this market sometimes goes to say, okay, they're going to be, you know, what we've seen in the past. 4.54 goals four per game. Obviously, something that you can't really sustain. Even a team like the the next closest, the LA Kings, is at 4.1. So that's still a huge gap. You expect that number to come down. A team shooting percentage, uh, they're leading the NHL. You expect that to come down. But we're not talking about them plummeting to the bottom of the league when it comes to all those statistics. Even if it's a little bit of a tick here or a half a point or a one full point on some of these um, these statistics, Batch, they're still a good team. They're still a team that's going to be competitive every single night and win a lot of the games that they play. So overall, you know, I've heard about the the PDO conversation. I've heard about all of those. I still think there's a very good team in Vancouver when that regression does come. Uh, are they historically good? Are they this good? Probably not. Now, going back to that conversation, though, about, you know, what this team is moving forward, look at the next couple of games they have here against Toronto. This is a team that is playing the night before. So Calgary versus Toronto, and then Vancouver gets the second of a back-to-back from the Toronto Maple Leafs. And having watched a lot of Toronto Maple Leafs hockey this year, especially for Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi, that is a team with a, a very good high-end scoring. Like William Nylander's had an excellent, excellent season. Austin Matthews is who he is. Mitch Marner's going to do his thing. But outside of that batch, not a very good team defensively. We know that. Montreal, ups and downs. They can beat the Detroit Red Wings, but they can also lose to the cellar dwellers in the East and the West too. So when we talk about, you know, regression, when is it coming? Uh, who knows? Uh, those are very two very winnable games that they've got coming up 
and and that's why I look at that to say regression may be coming in statistics. It may be coming in the standings. But as of right now, they're in a very, very good spot. And I could see them, you know, doing excellently on this road trip. They've only played one game thus far. But this is setting up to, you know, pick up five or six points, maybe even picking up six. Maybe I'm overly optimistic. But <laughs> the way that this this trip kind of sets up for the Canucks is, is very good. Well, and, and not only that, but, you know, the trip sets up well. We talked about that in the past. They've also got the Calgary Flames this week who are struggling and, and haven't had the best start to the year. They're not quite the Edmonton Oilers, um, but they haven't been Nobody at the right top now. of their yeah. game. The Canucks have the San Jose Sharks twice more before the end of the month, too. So, like, these are these are on paper, like, bank em points games. And, you know, when we're talking about regression, this is another point that I want to look at is, you know, that that date that we always talk about, American Thanksgiving. The Canucks have seven more games until American Thanksgiving. So you look at their record, 10-2-1, even if they were to lose every single game between now and American Thanksgiving, they're still above 500. So, and, and that's, you know, where I want to talk about regression is regression doesn't mean losing seven in a row. It doesn't mean... Uh, that your power play suddenly goes completely quiet or that your goal scoring disappears entirely. It just means that maybe you aren't producing points and goals at the rate that you were to start the year. But with some of the opponents coming up, you're absolutely right. And we'll get into some of the specifics around the rest of this road trip and what's to come in the week to come as we carry forward here on the show. But, you know, things are setting up for them very well right now to go into American Thanksgiving and come out of the month of November in a very strong position. And we know that basically 95 times out of 100 when you put yourself in that situation, you are at the very least a team that will make the playoffs. And when you start looking at what's going on across the, let's just focus on the Pacific Division. I don't even want to necessarily get into the Western Con- uh, Conference conversation right now, but you've got padding on those other teams. You've got you know a seven-point gap on the fourth-place team in the Pacific Division, which is, as of right now, the Anaheim Ducks. So that tells you, a, the Canucks are in that conversation with Vegas. They're in that conversation with the Kings. Um, and there's a, a Tier 1 and there's a Tier 2 right now. So even if there is that regression that's coming at some point, which they're going to lose games that we expect them to win. It, you know, good teams don't do that often, but even the best teams in the NHL will drop a game to a, a lesser light, so to speak. So I do expect at some point a game like that Philadelphia game that we saw earlier this year where the Canucks dropped a game that you know, they weren't necessarily mentally ready for and prepared for. Um, I could see that happening again, but Batch, they've built themselves some padding here. The areas that I see regression inevitably coming, and I think this is not a shock to anybody, is points percentage for sure. Uh, That goal differential is unbelievable right now, plus 33. Uh, You expect to see that there, and you expect the goals per game to come down. But from a team game perspective, you know, you start looking at what Calgary has not been able to do. You start looking at what Edmonton has not been able to do. And the Seattle Kraken have been very, very poor to start off the season. Even if this team does hit one of those losing streaks where, you know, they they drop a few games in a row, as the Canucks have seen themselves in the previous years, it's extremely difficult to catch up in the standings in an NHL season. It's not an easy thing to do. You can be on a historic run late in the season and come up short. So as of right now, that regression in a game-to-game scenario 
even if it does come, which of course, 10, two and one is a, is a great way to start. They've set themselves up for success right now where the Pacific, if they win a few more games, like we're talking about here, they're going to set themselves up in an even better spot where there's going to be a huge gulf between the top three and the next one or two teams in that Pacific division. Well, yeah, and I think that's the most surprising thing to me about the way the Pacific division has uh, shaken out to start the year. I, you know, I don't think anybody saw Edmonton, you know, near or at the basement of the NHL. People expected San Jose to be there, certainly, but for the Oilers and Flames to be down in that conversation, I don't think any of us would have predicted. And, you know, I've said this on the air a couple of times, but when people ask me in the summer and, you know, you and I both get this question all the time when we're, you know, chatting with friends or out in the community or whatever. Oh, how are the Canucks going to be this year? And I would say, well, they're going to be better because of the additions they've made. But the question that remains unanswered is, will it be enough in what I think will be a very competitive Pacific division? Uh, You know, aside from the Canucks having their tremendous start, the most surprising thing about this season to me is how uncompetitive the Pacific division has been and how, you know, in the summer I was saying Vegas will be there, Edmonton will be there, LA will be there, and you've got to find a way to be one of the wild card teams and, you know, edge out like Calgary and Seattle. That's the conversations that we were having coming into the year. And instead, it's Edmonton and Calgary that have completely had the bottom fall out from underneath them to the point where they would have to play tremendous, unbelievable, unsustainable levels of hockey in order to catch the Canucks or even come close. So, you know, that's why there's there's such doom and gloom around a team like the Edmonton Oilers right now coming off their uh, shocking loss, frankly, to the, the San Jose Sharks the other night is, you know, we saw with the Canucks last year, once you dig this hole for yourself in a league that hands out three points for games on lots of nights, it's almost impossible to overcome that. And that's why there's so much optimism around the Canucks, even if their game does regress, is this cushion allows you to have regression and still have success going forward. And that's, it's the polar opposite of what we've seen in recent years for this Canucks team. And it's the polar opposite of a lot of Canadian teams right now that are kind of in that murky middle where, you know, even the Leafs, the next opposition for the Canucks, they've got a a 538 points percentage. They're kind of struggling in the middle of the pack with the, the rest of the Atlantic division. Their margin for error is, is not as uh, fine as the, the Edmonton Oilers, but they don't have that huge, cushion that the Vancouver Canucks do you start looking at the Western Conference and the Winnipeg Jets they're kind of in that same area they're not necessarily the Dallas Stars the Colorado Avalanche but you know that in a conversation between those three teams you know who the lesser light is and the Canucks might be in that same conversation but what backs them up is they've got the numbers to back it up they've got that cushion to back it up so that's why you know even when regression comes I'm not saying if you know when regression comes the Canucks have set themselves up in a very, very good situation. And Batch, one thing that I think we've seen through 13 games for this team is in-game, if there's games that they struggle in, like the last game against Ottawa, that second period, if Brady Kachuk scores that goal, it's 3-2, and JT Muller doesn't get that opportunity going back the other way, maybe that game turns out a little differently. Maybe the stress level goes a little higher. But what that game showed us yet again was that the Vancouver Canucks have the star power to power them through games. And even in a game where Elias Pettersson did not play his best hockey, he admitted it after the game, and that was an observation during the game where he had special plays, he made plays, but from a start to finish of the game, he didn't necessarily play his best game, even though he picked up three points. 
these guys, even when they're clicking at 80% or 70% of their normal star power, they can still win you games. So, you know, that's where the Canucks are unique compared to some of the other teams we've talked about. The Oilers, McDavid's not right. Dreisaitl's not playing to his standard. Jonathan Huberto, don't even get me started on that guy, um, which he, he's he been MIA since he's gotten to Calgary. So, you know, that's the difference right now between the Canucks. The Canucks stars, even when they're not right, they're still doing something that is contributing to their team in a positive way, where some of these teams that they're competing with and should be competing with, um, there's a lot of MIA going right now on their roster. And the biggest star player in terms of a guy making the difference for the Vancouver Canucks, for me, is Thatcher Demko in the sense that, and you know, I know he didn't play in Ottawa and, um, you know, is all, in all likelihood only going to get one of the three games on this trip as they go into the weekend back-to-back against Toronto and Montreal. But look at some of these other teams that are having issues. You know, the Calgary Flames have gotten a bit better goaltending from Jacob Markstrom this year, but I wouldn't call it elite like the Canucks are getting from Demko. The Oilers certainly are not getting anything close to elite-level goaltending. Uh, The Maple Leafs don't get elite goaltending. The Senators don't get elite goaltending. Like, talking about where the Canucks sit in the hierarchy of Canada as well, the difference to me right now, and you're right, their star players contributing even when they don't have their best games is going to be crucial, but you know there are going to be games where even those star players players aren't able to find the back of the net or the offense dries up for a three, four, five game stretch. What gives you belief that the Canucks can continue to win is the fact that Thatcher Demko is playing absolutely out of his shoes right now. And on top of that, you know, I have some belief that Demko's game at this level is going to be significantly sustainable in large part because of the cushion they've built up. Like you go into this three game road trip this week in Eastern Canada And you have the luxury of being able to play Casey DeSmith twice, potentially, because of how well you've started the year, because every game and every two points isn't crucial to your success going forward. And we've seen, you know, previous iterations of this team and previous head coaches play Thatcher Demko into the ground down the stretch because they needed points or needed wins. So not only is Demko playing like one of the best goaltenders in the NHL right now, and, you know, you'd have to put him in the conversation for the Vezina Trophy if that was being awarded today, but the fact is they're going to be able to manage his minutes. They're going to be able to manage his starts. They're going to be able to get him lots of rest, and that's only going to allow him to play well and sustain his high level of play for even longer. And the number that I'm going to be looking at here, because I remember having a conversation with Ian Clark a couple of years ago on the air on Sportsnet 650 and asked him what the sweet spot for Thatcher Demko was. And the number he led off with was 58. That range of 58 to 62. But if you look on the low end, if your team is doing well, if your backup goalie is getting you W's, which Casey DeSmith is right now, and you build up a cushion, are you able to live in that space where you're you're happy with maybe your lead guy getting in a round? 55, 56, 57, whatever, that range where he gets enough rest, there is confidence in Casey DeSmith. He's an established NHL backup. He's a guy that challenged Tristan Jari for the, the, the starting job a little bit in Pittsburgh. So there's a clear confidence there. And to go back to what you were mentioning about the ability of Thatcher Demko to really be a game changer, which we know he is, but let me give you an example. After the last game against Ottawa, let's compare those two teams, the Canucks and the Ottawa Senators. The Ottawa Senators have created 95, 94 high danger chances this season and given up 129. The Canucks have created 98 themselves and given up 125. 
Yet, when you look at the five-on-five goal differential, the Canucks have a plus 22, and the Ottawa Senators have a plus 3. And that speaks to a couple of things. Absolutely, they're benefiting from a, a very good shooting percentage, which is leading you know, amongst the best in the league. It is the best in the league right now. But you know what it also leads to? It leads to having elite goaltending where other teams who are creating and giving up about the same amount of opportunities that you are, but you're also, you know, have the benefit of having one of the elite goaltenders in the league to say on certain nights, nothing is getting past him. And we've seen that on two occasions where he's already got two shutouts this season batch. Absolutely. And you look at the way that they've managed starts as well. Uh, If we assume that Demko and DeSmith are going to split the games at the weekend, which I think is a a fair assumption to make. I would be surprised if they rolled out Thatcher Demko in back-to-back games going forward. Then we'll be at the 15-game mark of the season, and Demko will have started 10, and DeSmith will have started 5. So you project that out over an 82-game season, and that's even fewer starts than Ian Clark talked about, as you mentioned. That's an average of 54.66667 starts for Thatcher Demko over the course of an 82-game year. So uh, that's the other thing that, you know, you talk about a sweet spot. You could even be under that sweet spot with a guy like Demko because of the cushion you've created. And then the the level of play that he's shown for this group, as you allude to, gives you, you know, extreme confidence that he's going to be able to play well for you. And from what we've seen from Casey DeSmith, there's no reason to, you know, lack any confidence in him that uh, he can come in and, and provide good mop-up duty. And and the other thing, too, with the scheduling of the goaltenders is it also allows you to pick your starts for Casey DeSmith and put him in situations where he's able to succeed as well. So not only are you getting Demko rest or managing his minutes more effectively or spreading it out in a better way than you would have otherwise, but you're giving DeSmith a chance to build on his confidence and build on his success. And all of this plays into overall team confidence and overall team success as well. And one, yeah, one of the things I think that we have to really mention on, on this front as well, the Canucks are benefiting from, you know, elite Thatcher Demko, which I'm glad on multiple levels that the Canucks, whether it's, Thatcher Demko, whether it's Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, JT Miller, like this East Coast trip is going to shine a light on not only the stars of this team, but the structure of this team. Rick Tockett's going to get some love and even some of the bottom six guys where you're going to see, you know, Eastern media and fans alike say, oh, wait a second, that guy's pretty good or this team is pretty good. And a part of that will be the discussion around the goaltending with Casey DeSmith this is the grind of the season. It's officially started in November, December, January. It's kind of that range where you have a lot of games up until basically the All-Star game and even through uh, Christmas uh, where you're going to have to play a lot of potentially back-to-backs. You have a, a lot of games in the month of November specifically and building confidence in a goaltending and a structure that your team has is vital right now. And the Canucks are doing that. And remember, this is a this is not a, a new goaltender to the league. Casey DeSmith, 32 years of age, um, has obviously played the collegiate level. He was signed as a free agent by Rutherford in Pittsburgh, worked his way up to get these NHL games. Uh, it, he seems like, and from all the conversations I've had with players as well, just a very likable guy. We've heard Tockett mention that as well. When he's not playing, he's one of the, the main guys in the room to keep everybody loose. 
which is what you want. So you know, part of this is on ice batch, but also part of it is being a professional and being somebody that's extremely easy to work with, which seems like Casey DeSmith is all of that right now. Indeed, and it has been a tremendous start to the year for the Vancouver Canucks. Still plenty more to come here on In the Booth. On the other side, we're going to preview the matchup with the Maple Leafs on Saturday night. And as you alluded to, Randeep, you watch Toronto all the time working on Hockey Night in Canada Punjabi. So uh, we'll get your expert opinion on what the Canucks need to be looking out for against this Maple Leafs team. We're also going to talk a little bit about Andre Kuzmenko and the start to the season that he's had. We're going to answer your questions that you sent in to us as well. And we'll do our rose ceremony as we do every week. It's all still to come right here on In the Booth on your official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to In the Booth on Sportsnet 650 with myself, Brendan Batchelor, and Randy Janda. If you missed any part of the show, it does live as a podcast on the Canucks Central podcast feed. So search for Canucks Central wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to the show as well for all of the great Canucks content from Sat and Dan. You get the post-game shows too, and you get us in the booth every single week and Randeep I teased it before the break but let's take a look at the Saturday night game in particular with the Canucks visiting Toronto to face the Maple Leafs and this is a Toronto team that has struggled to start the year and they are a team that the Canucks could take advantage of if they can you know have a have a good game and the Leafs are certainly going through it right now to a certain extent. No question and when you look at this team it's not a surprise where you know, the core four of this team is really the heart, right? You look at, you know, Austin Matthews and what he's able to do. He's up there in league scoring as you expect him to be. Uh, Mitch Marner does his thing as being one of the, the better playmakers in the league. William Nylander has been the story for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, you know, if I'm a Canucks fan or if I'm the Vancouver Canucks coaching staff, you know, it's not rocket science and who you have to stop. It's most notably those three players. But once you start looking at the rest of this roster, the lower end of this lineup is a real problem. And even some of their marquee pickups this season, you know, Tyler Bertuzzi was playing on the fourth line a couple of games ago where that's a problem. He's a guy that was supposed to be playing on the top line and he's been fluctuating up and down. Doesn't necessarily have the confidence of the coach right now. Uh, Ryan Reeves has, you know, is one of the most intimidating players in the NHL when he's not playing very much. He doesn't get on the score sheet and he's been absolutely trounced when it, you look at the goals for and goals against when he's on the ice. He is not effective and that's a problem that they have currently on their bottom six. I was actually thinking about this, that the Maple Leafs could use Sam Lafferty, the former player that they have, used to have on that team, <laughs> uh, in their bottom six because they're slow, they're not all that skilled and Lafferty, who has been great for the Canucks, is probably a part of that solution. But remember... Treliving didn't pick him up. Dubas traded for him, and Treliving takes over the team and says, hey, we don't need this guy. Uh, we're looking for something else. And it's been really inconsistent from the Toronto forwards on the bottom end. And Batch, I haven't even talked about the biggest problem this team has right now. It's defense. Seeing them, at the time of recording, allow five goals or more in the last three games against Buffalo, Tampa Bay, and Ottawa, who the Vancouver Canucks saw last. That's an issue. And, you know, you got Mark Giordano playing top four minutes. John Klingberg chasing shadows, chasing ghosts out there on the ice. So there is going to be a, a lot of potential here for the Canucks 
to really break down this team as the Leafs do have a lot of breakdowns themselves on the ice defensively. So I look at this game as a, a great spot first because they're the highest scoring team in the NHL and the Leafs are giving up a lot. But on top of that, Leafs are going to be playing the Flames the night before, which what we know about back-to-backs, you generally go with the healthier team, the more rested team. So I think this is an excellent spot for the Canucks. Yeah, and you know, you can tell me if my analysis is off here, but listening to you talk about the Leafs, there are a couple of areas that I think the Canucks have the advantage or could create an advantage going into the game if they play well. First of all, the forecheck. Because if Toronto's D is struggling to that extent, the way the Canucks relentlessly hound the puck and get in on the forecheck is bound to cause them issues. So that's one area that I think we could look at and say, okay, if the Canucks can have a really aggressive forecheck on Saturday night against the Maple Leafs, they're bound to have some success. The other area I would say is that the Canucks have been getting some offensive contributions from their bottom six. So you at least going into the game would give the advantage to Vancouver's bottom two lines that they can try and create some offense uh, from down the lineup so that even if uh, some of Toronto's top players do produce, uh, if if your guys can sort of equal them in the, the top six on the top two lines, then the difference could be in terms of offense your bottom six, and then goaltending, I would assume, any game that you go into with uh, what we expect to be Thatcher Demko starting on Saturday night against the Maple Leafs, you're probably you know, going to have the advantage in net. So those are three key areas of the game. And again, the Canucks haven't played as well the last couple of games, so this is all assuming that they can execute to a high level. But it does seem to set up well for this Vancouver group in those areas in particular. Yeah, and you mentioned the goaltending there. It looks like Ilya Samsonov will get the start as of right now on Saturday night, which is, you know, of the two goaltenders this year for the Toronto Maple Leafs, he has been the one that's lacked confidence. He's seen the starter's job go. Um, So, you know, on a back-to-back, you've got the goaltender that has looked worst of the two uh, you're playing against. One thing I will say about the Leafs, though, they didn't make a change in their lineup this past week, and they called up Nick Robertson from the AHL. Nick Robertson... Of course, the brother of Jason Robertson. It's kind of slow play with him over the years. He hasn't really gotten an opportunity at the NHL level consistently enough. He's playing on the third line right now with Max Domi. So they've got a little bit more pop now offensively. So the Canucks will have to watch out for that because Robertson does have skill. And the top three lines, I would say, looking a little bit more offense, uh, you know, happy. And Nick Robertson and Max Domi and Cal Yarncroke add that uh, with a little bit of grit from the other two veterans. But that fourth line is definitely an area you can target whenever they're on the ice because the Canucks are a much more balanced group than the Toronto Maple Leafs. But got to keep in mind, the real danger with this team is that top six. You can't go to sleep when Matthews line is on the ice or the Nylander line is on the ice. As they've shown this season, whether it's a couple of games against the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are a very good team in their own right, that if you take shifts off or if they level up in game, they can take it over and they can put five or six on you. So this... Top six of Toronto is capable of doing that, but there are definitely cracks on this roster. And it's going to be a fascinating matchup between the two teams Saturday night, four o'clock faceoff. Myself and Brett Festerling will have the call for you right here on Sportsnet 650. And actually, Randeep, you and uh, the crew over Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi, get a week off from the Canucks and Leafs. What do you guys have on the show this week? 
That's right. We got out Montreal and Boston, oddly enough, which is uh, it's kind of a, a weird thing that's going on, uh, which is, you know, usually I'm working the, the Vancouver Canucks game. But this week we got an, another early game. So Montreal, Boston and then Seattle and Edmonton, which is an absolute soap opera right now of what's going on with the Edmonton Oilers. So looking forward to that late game as well this week, because so many storylines around the Edmonton Oilers. As we continue here on In the Booth on Sportsnet 650, we're going to get to some listener questions. We are also going to do our weekly rose ceremony. But, uh, Randy, we, we mentioned it before the break, wanting to talk a bit about Andre Kuzmenko and his game at this point in the season because certainly the, the goals haven't been there to the same degree that they were last year, and I think we all expected that coming into the season after his tremendous shooting percentage last year and his 39-goal season. We thought that that percentage might come down a bit. It has to this point. Uh, as you look at his stats heading into the weekend, he's a guy that has three goals now with nine assists, but still 12 points in 13 games. And I think that's what impresses me about Kuzmenko's year is, yeah, he's not scoring like he did last year, and he hasn't been playing as flashy of a game as he did last year, but he's still finding ways to contribute on the score sheet and is starting to buy into some of the things that the coaching staff wants him to do. The points are one thing because, yeah, the goals might not be there, but still almost a point-per-game player. So he's still picking up his but that game against Ottawa Batch, uh, that game was one that I look back at and say, Kuzmenko, you can see how he's changing his game a little bit in terms of just being a, a player that's tougher to play against, playing, you know, engaging in those board battles and being a little bit better with just playing the puck and puck management. I know that wasn't a, a great game for the Canucks in that regard because they could definitely see that they were fighting it a little bit. But from Kuzmenko's perspective, uh, there's that play he has on Stutzlaw along the the boards on that two nothing goal, and you know some might say that's a bit of a risky play, but in the end it works out. It ends up you know going into the back of the net uh, as Ilya Mikheyev beats uh, Forsberg, but you know it really does start with Kuzmenko in that pressure point. Uh, later on in the game, I think the four two game or four two goal to me was the the big one where in the defensive zone near the blue line, Kuzmenko engages on a board battle and. He's the one who starts the counterattack. In the end, Mikheyev scores the second goal of the game. Great play by Pedersen to really slow the game down, make sure he has support before he sends a pass forward. But where does that start? It starts with Kuzmenko. And those are the two scoring plays. Just throughout the night, throughout the game, you can see, all right, he's physically engaged. He's not shying away from areas where he's got to battle for the puck. Where maybe in the past, last year, there were moments that he would be a little soft on a play or he wouldn't engage uh, this year. You're seeing a Rick Tockett style of game, which is going to, over time, hopefully, if he continues this, gain trust with the coach. And, you know, I look at Andre Kuzmenko and his ice time right now. It's 15-22, which is lower than you'd want it to be. If you're a top six player on this team, you want to develop trust with the, the coaching staff and be out there late in games, which he was in against Ottawa. Uh, and the Canucks had a multi-goal lead there. But... You want to get that number probably closer to 18, 19 minutes. And Kuzmenko's not there, but there are signs that, okay, he's turning it into a different style of game. He's getting his points, but it's not all solely based on that shot. He's doing the dirty work sometimes to get that secondary assist, but that comes from a wall battle. 
to me, Batch, that's a positive development in his game, which is going to gain more trust with Rick Tockett. Well, and I think the interesting thing with Kuzmenko and his ice time, and it's something I've been kind of following as well, is his minutes go down when the team is protecting a lead in the third period. And uh, to this point, because of how well they've played, uh, they've had a lot of leads in the third period. So his minutes have been down later in games um, because as much as I agree, I think he's improved in some of those areas of the game that Tockett wants him to improve. And that's an encouraging sign because, you know, with the, the standards this head coach is setting, uh, Kuzmenko was going to need to buy in. And Tockett has always talked about the fact that Kuzmenko's eager to learn and to pick things up. And so he seems to be a, a willing participant in, in trying to round out his 200-foot game and that's a good thing. But I wonder if, as we talked about in the first segment, if some regression hits this team as we get deeper and deeper into the season, that's where we're going to see Kuzmenko's minutes increase a bit because is he one of the most trusted players defensively right now? Do you want him on the ice when you're protecting a lead in the third period? Maybe not, or you know, certainly not from Rick Tockett's perspective at this point in Kuzmenko's development as a player. But if the Canucks find themselves in more games where it's a tie game in the third period and you need a goal or you're chasing the game and you need offense to try and catch up, that's where I think we'll see Kuzmenko's minutes increase. And a perfect example of that was the game against the New York Rangers a couple of weeks ago where Kuzmenko played nearly 20 minutes in that game. And, you know, what was different about that game than a lot of other Canuck games this year? It was a close game. Canucks got behind in the third period, needed some offense, and suddenly you see Kuzmenko's minutes rise. So it's kind of one of those interesting situations where the team's success has led to less ice time for Andre Kuzmenko, but I imagine over the balance of the season that things will level out, especially if, as we talked about extensively in the opening segment, and again, go download the podcast if you missed it, that some regression is likely coming for this team sooner rather than later. When it comes to Kuzmenko, and, and absolutely, I agree with all of that, and I think the the usage will change as the team, the game script changes. But the long game here with Andre Kuzmenko is, you have designs on being a playoff team, and in the playoffs, batch, you know as well as I do, you have to make sure you limit your mistakes. And top six players are going to get a lot of ice there. Those are trusted players. So if this guy is, you know, going to be next to Ilya Mikheyev and Elias Pettersson. And that's a line that you have in the playoffs. There's going to be a lot of tight checking games. There's going to be every mistake made in the playoffs can end up in the back of your net. So while I understand right now, 15 minutes on certain nights, it's a little bit lower. We saw against San Jose and Nashville, it was sub 14. You want to build his game up where when you come to March, when you come to April, you're saying, okay, we trust this guy to be on the ice. Because if you are going to make the playoffs, which the Canucks look likely right now based off of this start, you got to make sure that your top six guys um, are trusted to play those very difficult minutes late in games where you have that trust. So, Batch, that's one of the things that I, I'm looking towards with Andre Kuzmenko is, you know, are we going to see an uptick in minutes based on trust uh, as the season goes on? Because if this is a playoff team by, you know, what it looks like, he's going to be very, very prominent on that line with McKeever and Kuzmenko or with uh, Pedersen. Yes, indeed, he will be. So, you know, his development as a player and the way things go for this team going forward and how the two are interconnected are going to be really interesting 
to watch. All right, it's time to get to some listener questions. We always throw out the opportunity for you to send your questions in on Twitter before we record the show every Friday. And we do have a couple of questions uh, coming in. Let's start, and I'll throw this one to you first, Randeep. Steven writes in, which forward do you think has been the MVP of the bottom six? Okay, the bottom six. And there's been a few of them that I've really liked their game, but I'm going to go with Pew Suter here. And, you know, if Teddy Bluger was healthy and if we could see his game, I think I would go probably maybe the answer changes based on more consistency there because I feel like his game would would be really rated highly in the city and amongst Canucks fans and people that cover the team, but we just haven't seen Teddy. But Pew Suter, the goals are one thing. You go three straight games scoring a goal. I just love the way that he is so safe in his own zone. He's a guy that is just there at the right time. He's never making a mistake. He's a a neutralizer, so to speak. And early on in the year, he wasn't giving up anything and he wasn't scoring either. So he was not a detriment on the ice, but you know, you're basically guaranteed when Pew Suter's on the ice that mistakes won't be made in the own zone. He's so good with the details. He's so good on getting on the right side of a player or, you know, covering for a defenseman that's pinching in, in the offensive zone. So for me, it's not the flashiest of names because, you know, he's not a guy that's going to have the flair like a Connor Garland or, uh, you know, those moments uh, like Niels Hoaglander where he's playing that buzzsaw role. But I'm going to go with Mr. Consistency, Pew Suter. I would absolutely agree. Uh, So I'm going to give a bit of a different answer just for the sake of uh, some conversation. But, you know, I agree. I think Suter's been tremendous. I think he's been the third line center that the Canucks have been begging for for years. And it's just added a bit of consistency down their lineup. And I'm going to talk about Sam Lafferty, though. I know we mentioned him in relation to uh, the Maple Leafs earlier, but just some found money for this team. You know, a guy that wasn't really on anybody's radar, but the team acquired him and, and you sort of look at it and said okay that's that's an interesting acquisition I'm not sure why they went and did that and then you see the speed he brings the tenacity with which he plays you know he's had a a bit of sneaky offense here early in the season as well I've liked Sam Lafferty and for me he probably is second on that list right now maybe in a tie with Niels Hoaglander who's been good too but Lafferty deserves some recognition for what he's brought to this group for a really cheap pickup right before the season. Yeah, you know, this is a player that looking at the Leafs' bottom six, I mentioned earlier on that they they could use this guy. And his size, his speed, his ability and willingness to engage, uh, take a hit sometimes to make a play, that's a skill. That's an asset you should have as a player, especially a bottom six player. So Sam Lafferty, I think, has been a, a great move by Patrick Alvine where you look at his plus eight rating right now, uh, That's that's a difference maker, right? On the bottom end, you're not... You're not giving up much, which is something that you need on the on the bottom end of a lineup. So uh, Lafferty, I, I got to yeah, he's definitely in a podium position for me in that regard as well. We got time for one more question here. Sonny writes in, and this one I got a chuckle out of because it's amazing how a few weeks of good play from this team can switch the narrative in a market like this. Sonny writes in and says, Ryan Kessler or JT Miller, and you know I I love that this is a conversation that we're having. I think JT Miller's had a tremendous start to the season. I don't want to take anything away from him, but Ryan Kessler was one of the best centermen in the league in terms of his two-way game at you know the peak of his career. And not to say that Miller's not 
right now. And, you know, I've even heard some conversations in the city over the past couple of weeks about whether Miller would get Selkie votes for how well he's been playing. Well, Ryan Kessler won a Selkie trophy. So uh, I love that Miller's put himself in that same conversation. That's not something that I would have seen coming into this year. And I think it's been one of the biggest reasons the Canucks have had this level of success is that Miller has emerged as a guy that can be a a very good shutdown centerman. Uh, When last year we were having conversations about whether he should be in the middle or on the wing. So that's been a major development for this team and a major development for the good. But I'd still take Ryan Kessler at his peak if we're having that conversation. Okay, so with Kessler, yeah, the Selkie, just playing that level, you look at the totality of a career and his battles with Jonathan Taves or his feud with Ryan Johansson. Like, there's an element of him going beast mode in uh, in 2011 against the Nashville Predators. And just overall, you know, what what he did throughout his career. Um, the style of player for me personally, because this question by Sonny is, doesn't specify who's the better player, doesn't specify who has the best resume. It just says, Kessler or Miller, the style of play. I'm going to lean JT Miller. I, I know you need a Ryan Kessler to win a Stanley <laughs> Cup. Don't get me wrong, but in terms of I love it, Randy. I love the it. power forward game, right? Where this is a guy that plays a heavy game. He's not willing to back down. Uh, he's yeah, he's going to be a fiery personality. Like to me, JT Miller. I I just love the way that he has developed into a power forward in this game in the last, especially three years since coming to Vancouver. He had piece of that uh, pieces of that in Tampa Bay and New York, but with you know just being able to crank out 50, 60 assists a season, uh, a guy that produced in in some pretty tough years in Vancouver, but now seeing that development of a two hundred foot game, style of play, and willing to willing to drop him too every now and then, from a powered forward perspective, I'm going to go with JT to play devil's advocate here because uh, you know <laughs> I, I maybe I lean with the big boys here. There you go. Uh, Thanks to Sonny and Steven for your questions this week. If you're listening to the podcast right now and you've got any questions that you want us to answer on next week's show, you don't have to wait till we call out for questions. Just send them in uh, at Batch Hockey, at Randeep Janda on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or I should say the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, as I always call it, on the broadcast. Send us your questions. Just tag them with the hashtag in the booth. We'll flag them throughout the week and try to get to them every week on the show. But, Randeep, it is that time again. The Bachelor and The Bachelor present the Rose Ceremony. And I'm going to go first and... You know, with how well the Canucks have been playing, you could hand out roses to JT Miller, to Elias Patterson, to Thatcher Demko, certainly to Quinn Hughes uh, as the the first star of the week in the National Hockey League. But I'm going to go in a different direction, and I kind of think that the rose ceremony, at least for me, is evolving into like an unsung hero kind of award where I'm going to throw a rose out every week to a guy I think that deserves more love that maybe isn't getting it. And I'm going to give it to Tyler Myers this week. As a defenseman for this team that had, I think we can both openly admit it, a dreadful start to this season, he's turned his game around and it solidified a lot on the Canucks back end in terms of, you know, they they made changes with the pairings because of how much Myers was struggling. They put Friedman with Cole and they moved Myers with Susie on what was at the time the third pairing. But ever since then, Myers has cleaned up his game 
We've seen his minutes tick up ever so slightly, and there's more trust there with the coaching staff, you can tell. And it's an earned trust for Myers because he's been playing very well. He has, and, you know, plus 10 on the season. Let me repeat that, plus 10. And it is a player that clearly has, you know, a, a good rapport with Carson Soucy. This is a pairing that's worked. And in the past, we've talked about, okay, what's that sweet spot with Tyler Myers? Can he play 19, 20 minutes a game? Is that too much for him? Is he a guy that has to play third pair, maybe 16 minutes on the lower end? And no, he's showing that given the right circumstance, given the right pairing, he can still give you 19 minutes, quality minutes at that. And even against Edmonton, he played 21 minutes in that game batch. So uh, this is a good story. It's a long season, but Tyler Myers, remember against Florida, uh, it felt like it was a bit of a, a session in court where like every Canucks fan was making a, a, a you know, basically playing prosecutor and he was the defendant uh, on Twitter, right? Which is nice to see the player turn it around since then. And he's played excellent. Rick Talkett even saying he's been one of their best players. So can't disagree with that, Rose. Yeah, and uh, one quick stat that I got a chuckle out of today, and you know, not that we want to pile on the Oilers more than anyone else has, but uh, credit to a rash from the Pucks on Net podcast, a good buddy of mine that sent me this. Tyler Myers has played 13 games this year, two goals, three assists, plus 10. Darnell Nurse, 12 games this year, three goals, one assist, minus five. So Tyler Myers having a better year than Darnell Nurse to this point. Uh, okay, we're up against it for time here, Randy, but quickly, who are you giving your rose to this week? I'm giving mine to Niels Hoaglander. I think he's in that sweet spot as well where he's playing sometimes less than 10 minutes per game, but he's making an impact. He's playing fast, and I'm going to say it right now, he's a player that reminds me of a former Pittsburgh Penguins player that Rick Tockett coached. He's got elements of Carl Hagelin to him. He can play on the bottom end of a lineup. He can probably give you about 25 to 30 points a season, and he plays fast. That's what you want. Keep on developing that skill set, Niels. You're not there yet, but I like what I see from him. And I think the big word for Hoaglander is identity. He's figured out the identity that he needs to play to to have success, even if he's further down the Canucks lineup. And we've seen, you know, some of the best games we've seen from him over the past couple of years as a Canuck in the past couple of weeks. All right, that does it for this week's episode of In the Booth. We'll talk to you again next week right here on your official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.